to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, May 13th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. The U.S. officially lifts its Title 42 immigration ban. Elon Musk announces a new Twitter CEO. The U.S. and China hold talks to improve relations. Moscow denies reports of a Ukrainian breakthrough in Bakhmut. A Philippines court acquits Leila de Lima in a drug case. An ex-Marine is charged with fatally chokeholding a homeless man on a subway. A United Kingdom software company co-founder is extradited to the U.S. Toyota says data from more than 2 million customers in Japan was publicly accessible. New York City passes a law barring weight discrimination. And astronomers capture the largest cosmic explosion ever witnessed. In our top story, the U.S. officially lifts its Title 42 immigration ban. And here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, Guardian, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post. On Thursday, Title 42, the COVID-era public health order that was used 2.8 million times to turn away migrants at the U.S. border since it was first instituted in March 2020, expired. While the U.S. Customs and Border Protection announced that it had been holding as many as 28,000 migrants at its facilities, well beyond its stated capacity, thousands of migrants gathered on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border in anticipation of Title 42 ending. Without Title 42, a newly implemented Biden administration rule will deny asylum to most migrants who cross the border illegally. Also Thursday, the Republican-led U.S. House passed 219 to 213 a bill to boost funding for personnel and equipment for authorities at the border and to make it harder to seek asylum. The Democrat-majority Senate said it doesn't plan to schedule a vote on the measure, and the Biden administration said it would veto the bill if passed. U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas on Wednesday attempted to tamp down concerns over the border situation by saying local law enforcement will receive federal support, including the deployment of 1,500 troops. The U.S. also has a deal in place with Mexico to send thousands of non-Mexican migrants there each month. At the time Title 42 was first enacted, then-President Trump cited its necessity in stopping the spread of COVID. Biden has continued the policy, but its expiration coincides with the end of the pandemic public health emergency order. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts that all our sources agree on, and now the narrative spins where they differ. Let's begin with the Democratic narrative from Daily Kos. The implementation of Title 42 was a xenophobic move by the Trump administration that went against the advice of public health experts. Biden's continuation of the policy was a shameful act that's finally being rectified. The answer to slowing illegal migration is compassionate, comprehensive immigration reform, not a continuation of anything that's been enforced under Title 42 over the past three years. And we counter that with a Republican narrative coming from PJ Media. Democrats will soon learn that Title 42 was better than the Biden administration's open borders policies set to follow. Despite months to prepare for the upcoming migrant surge, the only plan Biden has come up with is to allow a flood of migrants to cross the border and to release asylum seekers into the country untracked. This could have tragic consequences that Title 42 would have prevented. Eric, I have a friend in law enforcement in that, uh, 
in the border area. And uh, from what I'm hearing, it's not a pretty picture over there. Not at all. I'm sure it's not anything like um, Ellis Island. No, th- but there are, <laughs> from the sounds of it, there's plenty of there's plenty of huddled and tired masses, <laughs> both on the other side of the border and there's plenty of tired, huddled masses on enforcement as well. I, I bet. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. Elon Musk picks a new Twitter CEO. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Sky News, Washington Post, and Reuters. After announcing on Thursday that he had found a new CEO to lead Twitter, which he bought last year for $44 billion, Elon Musk on Friday confirmed that Linda Yaccarino, the head of global advertising and partnerships at NBC Universal, would take over. Musk said she would start in six weeks, at which point he would assume the roles of executive chairman and chief technology officer. In December, Musk said he would resign as CEO upon finding, quote, someone foolish enough to take the job. This came after 57.5% of users in a Twitter poll voted for him to leave the position. Last month, Musk said he had fulfilled the promise to step down by appointing his dog, Flocky, to the role. I said I would appoint a new CEO, and I did, and it's my dog, Musk quipped. Musk's recent announcement about a new Twitter CEO came about 15 minutes before the close of Wall Street on Thursday. Tesla shares closed 2% higher and shot up an additional 1.6% in after-hours trading. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A, and it's coming from Washington Post. The appointment of a new CEO could launch a new chapter for the troubled company, which has recently struggled with sweeping changes to Twitter's policies and frequent outages. As Musk's commitment to open-source transparency and accepting a wide range of viewpoints remains unchanged, the new chief executive will likely improve relationships with advertisers and smooth their fears over content moderation. And The Verge brings us narrative B. Musk has a track record of making splashy announcements and failing to follow through. As Musk has reshaped Twitter's policies to match his whims, speculation on how long his tenure would last and how big of an effect it has on his other companies has only increased. While Twitter may get a new CEO, the biggest question is how much will change and how fast, considering he would still have a hands-on role over the social media platform. Well, he's making no bones about this new CEO, and the great thing is his bonus will only include a flea collar and maybe a milk bone. Yeah, I'll tell you, dog toys aren't (laughs) cheap, though. If you go to uh, PetSmart or if you go to uh, like a family-owned kind of bougie and or hipster dog store, you can pay a, it's like 40 bucks. And my dog, Brownie, Chocolate Lab, she's beautiful. She will tear that thing up in minutes. She rips the heart out of those toys. If there's a squeaker inside, she attacks the toy, ruins the seams, pulls Pulls the heart out and then leaves it. She ruins it. It's it's the worst 50 bucks you could spend. So if Flocky doesn't work out, I would definitely have yeah. Brownie throw her hat in the ring. She was she made it to the second round of interviews. I mean, she's young. You know, oh, it's, that's she, true. She'll, she'll get her day in the sun. You, you got to put yeah. one paw in front of the other. <laughs> in international news, the U.S. and China hold talks to move beyond the spy balloon incident. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Financial Times, Guardian, Reuters, Fox News, and South China Morning Post. The White House on Thursday publicized a two-day meeting between National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi in Vienna this week. The White House said both sides reportedly had candid and constructive discussions on wide-ranging key issues talks in the Austrian capital to stabilize relations between the two major powers, which have hit their lowest level since diplomatic ties were established in 1979, 
focused on U.S.-China relations, global security issues, the Ukraine war, and Taiwan. Sullivan and Wang, who spent more than eight hours together on Wednesday and Thursday, reportedly agreed that the February spy balloon incident was unfortunate and are now seeking to restore regular channels of communication. The Vienna meeting coincided with Reuters reporting that Washington had refrained from imposing sanctions and other measures such as export controls in the wake of the incident to avoid further damage to U.S.-China relations. The alleged Chinese spy balloon roamed freely across the U.S. from January 28th to February 4th before being shot down over South Carolina, with the Biden administration reportedly struggling to block the intelligence gathering by the balloon over U.S. military sites. Following this incident, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken postponed a planned trip to China indefinitely. Yet, signs of a diplomatic thaw emerged earlier this week as China's foreign minister, Qin Gang, met with U.S. envoy Nicholas Burns. Thanks for that rundown, Eric. We have a pro-China narrative from Global Times. The fact that Washington is now seeking dialogue after months of escalation sends a positive signal, but skepticism is warranted given the level of hostility the U.S. has recently shown. The key to restoring viable relations will be for Washington not to communicate with Beijing on one side and further exacerbate tensions on the other by undermining the PRC's sovereignty, security, and development interests. China has shown goodwill in the recent rounds of talks, and now it is up to the U.S. to back up its words with action. The anti-China narrative comes from foreignpolicy.com. The U.S.-China talks are evidence of Washington's effort to rebuild the basis for dialogue with Beijing. So far, however, the PRC does not seem interested in better coordination with Washington on security issues, seeing it as another attempt to contain China's influence. The faction with China's power apparatus that wants to ensure that an event such as a maritime collision or a spy balloon does not escalate into an armed clash is shrinking. For dialogue to bear fruit, Beijing must overcome its unfounded mistrust of the U.S. And we have a statistics-based nerd narrative provided by the Metaculous Prediction community. It says there's a 20% chance that the U.S. and China will be at war before the year 2035. Eric, I wonder what other antiquated espionage technique, you know, we'll have. Maybe like that invisible ink that, you know, like uh, the lemon juice <laughs> that you, you put on the paper and it, the invisible ink or... Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. You know, some other, some other, maybe oil <laughs> slicks coming out of the back of a car. Just anything old fashioned. I'm into it. Exactly. They, uh, what, the shoehorn pistol. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, what was it? What did Max... Oh, the, it was the, the shoe phone. Maxwell Smart. That's oh, yeah. What the I shoe phone. See. Yeah. The that's, shoe phone. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the cone of silence. The, uh, yes. The thing yes. <laughs> cone of plastic thing. <laughs> Moscow denies reports of a Ukrainian Bakhmut breakthrough. Here are the facts as agreed upon by TASS, Yahoo News, The New York Post, The Institute for the Study of War, and CNN. Russia's defense ministry has denied that Ukraine made any frontline breakthroughs in the so-called engagement line near Bakhmut in the Donetsk region. Earlier in the week, Alexander Sersky, head of Ukraine's ground forces, said his troops had advanced as much as 1.2 miles, that's two kilometers, in some areas of the front line. Thanks to our well-thought-out defense on the Bakhmut front, we are getting results from the efficient actions of our units, he said. The report was seemingly confirmed on Thursday when Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of the Russian mercenary group Wagner PMC, again criticized Russia's military leadership stating on Telegram that Ukrainian forces had successfully entered some of our flanks in the Bakhmut direction. Russia's defense ministry said on Thursday the statements circulating on some Telegram channels and alleging breaches of defense in various sections of the engagement line are not true. 
The ministry suggested that the situation is generally under control per official Russian state media. Meanwhile, the Institute for the Study of War, a U.S. military think tank that tracks battlefield positions in the war, concluded in its latest assessment that Ukrainian forces likely broke through some Russian lines and localized counterattacks near Bakhmut, citing two locations where geo-located footage appeared to confirm the presence of Ukrainian troops in territory recently held by Russia. Ukraine's attacks in Bakhmut also prompted Wagner head Prigozhin to accuse Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky of lying when he said Ukraine needed a bit more time before launching its awaited counterattack. However, it's still unclear whether Ukraine's reported attacks in Bakhmut were part of a large counteroffensive thrust or part of a more localized positional struggle. Thank you, Scott. Our first spin is a pro-establishment narrative coming from Al Jazeera. Drawing context from the statements of Prigozhin and the Russian Defense Ministry's responses, as well as from geolocated footage that showed a recent reversal of positions in some areas, Ukraine likely did regain territory that was recently held by Moscow. And the pro-Russian narrative comes courtesy of TASS. Reports of Ukrainian advances are false. Russian troops have continued to repel all Ukrainian attacks, while offensive operations are still ongoing in several regions. Moscow continues to hold the majority of Bakhmut or Archimovsk in Russian. And we have a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 7% chance that Ukraine will have de facto control of at least 90% of the Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts by January 1st, 2024. News coming from the Philippines as a court acquits Leila de Lima in a drug case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, Manila Bulletin, Al Jazeera, France 24, Inquirer, and Bloomberg. A Philippine court on Friday dismissed one of the two remaining criminal charges against former Senator Leila de Lima, a prominent critic of ex-president Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs. De Lima and co-accused Ronnie Dayan were acquitted of conspiring to commit illegal drug trading at the new Billy Bead prison in 2012 during her time as Justice Secretary, quote, on the ground of reasonable doubt. This comes as key witnesses, including the self-confessed drug lord Carolyn Espinoza and the former officer in charge of the Bureau of Corrections, Rafael Ragos, recently retracted their testimony, which they claim was false and allegedly made under coercion. De Lima, who has been detained since February 2017, will remain in jail as her trial in the other criminal case continues. Though she has applied for bail, she faces life in prison if convicted of the final remaining charge. She has now won two of the three drug cases filed against her during the Duterte administration. In 2021, De Lima was acquitted as the evidence submitted by the prosecutors was reportedly insufficient for a criminal conviction. Meanwhile, President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. last week acknowledged that thousands were killed and abused during Duterte's deadly drug war, which the International Criminal Court is investigating. Thanks for the rundown, Eric. Narrative A comes from Rappler. The unjust imprisonment and continued detention of Leila de Lima has been undermining the credibility of the Philippine judicial system, as she should have been acquitted of all charges given that the prosecution has based them solely on the testimonies of criminals. It is outrageous that the country's judiciary is still analyzing bogus cases brought by the former Duterte regime against its opponents. Narrative B comes from Manila Times. As ironical as it may seem, Leila de Lima, detained on non-bailable charges of involvement in illicit drug trading, once argued that former President Gloria Arroyo's continued detention was part of the independent judicial process in the Philippines and did not violate her human rights. Now that she is behind bars, her supporters at home and abroad are insulting the judiciary. 
And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. They say there's a 50% chance that at least 60 countries will, at least in some form, decriminalize possession of all Schedule One drugs for personal use by the year 2070. And that's according to the Metaculus prediction community. An ex-Marine is charged for his fatal New York subway chokehold. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The New York Post, Forbes, Fox News, and The New York Times. On Friday, 24-year-old Marine Corps veteran Daniel Penny appeared in court to be charged with second-degree manslaughter in connection with the death of homeless man Jordan Neely on a New York City subway. No plea was entered. The former Marine turned himself into authorities earlier in the day, 11 days after putting Neely, who had a long record of mental health issues, in a chokehold for several minutes aboard a train in Manhattan in an attempt to subdue him. This comes after the DA's office launched a probe into Neely's death following citywide protests after police released Penny from custody without filing any charges in the immediate aftermath of the incident. Before Friday, the New York Police Department hadn't arrested anyone in connection to the chokehold, despite the city's medical examiner ruling it a homicide, determining that Neely died from compression against his neck. Penny, who reportedly told other riders to call the police during the fighting, was filmed restraining Neely around the neck for several minutes. Two other unidentified people were also seen holding the man. According to witnesses, Neely had been shouting at other passengers but hadn't attacked anyone. Second-degree manslaughter, also known as reckless homicide, requires prosecutors to prove that Penny knew that the chokehold could kill Neely, unreasonably choosing to do it anyway. If convicted, he could face up to 15 years in jail. Those were the facts, and our first spin is a left narrative coming from Truth Out. Penny must be brought to justice for Neely's heinous murder. This shocking, racially charged case reveals the worst of America's brutal capitalist society, including the pathologization of blackness and the oppression of those perceived as mentally ill. Not only did Penny act as if he was entitled to take Neely's life, but he has also been carrying out a character assassination against the deceased. Contrast that with this right narrative spin from The Spectator. This incident, which is yet to be litigated in court, is a direct consequence of leftist officials advising police to do nothing to protect New Yorkers that are fed up with being accosted on the subway. While this isn't to say that Penny is fully innocent, it must be stressed that Neely was far from being a harmless man, as he had previously severely injured an elderly woman and tried to kidnap a girl. This case is hypercharged by woke identity politics. And Metaculous Prediction Community is giving us a nerd narrative for this story. They say there's a 50% chance that New York City's subway ridership will return to pre-COVID pandemic levels for the first time by May 2024. In our next story, a United Kingdom software company co-founder is extradited to the U.S. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Guardian, Reuters, CNBC, Al Jazeera, and NBC6 South Florida. Mike Lynch, co-founder of software firm Autonomy and once called the UK's Bill Gates, arrived in San Francisco, California after being extradited to the U.S. Thursday, where he will face criminal charges related to Hewlett-Packard's $11 billion acquisition of his tech company. Upon arriving in the U.S. accompanied by the U.S. Marshals Service, Lynch was released from court on a $100 million bond on the condition that he be confined in a specific San Francisco location and pay for a 24-hour security detail, including video surveillance and armed guards. Lynch has faced legal battles for nearly a decade and could face up to 20 years in prison for allegedly inflating autonomy's value, causing Hewlett-Packard to pay far more than the company was worth when it bought Lynch's software in 2011. 
He pled not guilty on 17 charges. A year after buying autonomy for $11 billion, HP wrote down the company's value by $8.8 billion, accusing Autonomy's executives of inflating its revenues by roughly $700 million. HP sued Autonomy for $5 billion, prompting a countersuit from Lynch and a decade-long legal dispute. In January 2022, a British judge ruled that Lynch did orchestrate a fraudulent scheme to inflate Autonomy's value, vindicating HP, with Britain's High Court rejecting his appeal of the extradition on April 21st. In 2019, Autonomy's former CEO, Shushovan Hossein, was sentenced to five years in prison and fined $5 million for wire and securities fraud. Lynch has denied any wrongdoing, and some in the UK tech industry have rallied behind him, claiming that he should not be extradited to the US. The Telegraph brings us Narrative A on this story. Mike Lynch's extradition to the U.S. sets a dangerous precedent that could pave the way for future injustice. The U.S. and U.K. agreed to an extradition treaty in 2003 that would allow the Allies to work together following the 9-11 attacks. Now that treaty is being misused and abused to apply to suspected white-collar criminals instead of the originally intended terrorists. The U.S. is trying to supersede British law and is overstepping its bounds. The Guardian gives us narrative B for this story. Mike Lynch was once a promising tech entrepreneur who was lauded as one of the industry's stars, but now he's being exposed as a fraud who tricked HP into overpaying billions for his company. Lynch has lost case after case and has evaded extradition for many years due to his wealth and influence. After a decade of legal battles, he can no longer run and must face the consequences of his actions. This is due process in action. You remember that Legend of Zelda game that I sold you last year? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Do you like it? Wait a minute. And a data breach in Japan as 2 million of Toyota's customers are exposed. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, Reuters, Tech Central, and ABC News. On Friday, Toyota revealed that the data of more than 2 million customers in Japan was publicly accessible for over a decade due to human error, including details such as vehicle location, identification numbers, and footage recorded by the vehicle. Since 2012, data from the connected cloud service offered by Toyota had been mistakenly made public, with the company reassuring customers that individuals couldn't be identified based on the information and that there was no evidence of malicious use of the data. A company spokesperson apologized for the leak and said Toyota would audit and monitor cloud settings continuously in the wake of the incident, as well as bolster their data handling procedures. Toyota's connected service reminds customers of scheduled maintenance, helps locate the vehicle, connects to entertainment services, and assists during emergencies. G-Link and G-Book services were also included in the breach, with the company reassuring customers that the issues had been dealt with. Japan's Personal Information Protection Commission has stated it's aware of the incident, but declined to comment as per its policy on individual incidents. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from PrivateInternetAccess.com. Internet-connected cars are a data security nightmare, as companies indiscriminately trawl as much data as possible from drivers, unaware they are operating what is effectively a smartphone on wheels. Everything from the number of passengers in the car to the music you listen to is being harvested and potentially shared with insurance companies, advertisers, law enforcement, and even malicious actors. We need clarity, regulation, and transparency about the uses of vehicle data. Malicious actors? Robert Blake, what does he have to do with this? (laughs) And Narrative B comes from Technopedia. 
All new technology comes with risks, but the benefits of connected vehicles far outweigh the risks, as they will enhance the driving experience and make us all safer. Automakers are making cutting-edge improvements to protect the digital security and privacy of their new vehicles with tools such as artificial intelligence and facial recognition at their disposal. They are safer on the road as well with advanced surveillance and sensor systems. We shouldn't let one innocent mistake cloud our perception of the future of driving. You know, I'm thinking about reverting back to my uh, 1976 AMC Gremlin. I know nothing is going to be stolen from that car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, that was my mom's first car was a gremlin. She really wanted it. You know, it was at the time she thought it was really cool and it was, you know, it was an interesting looking car. I have to check with her how it went. I think those things are pretty infamously unreliable, right? They, you know what? They may be unreliable, but both the gremlin and the pacer are highly sought after cars. I mean, anything that won't leak your data on the dark web, I, I'm, I'm kind of down with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's something to be said. <laughs> right. <laughs> In our next story, New York City passes a bill banning weight discrimination. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, U.S. News & World Report, BBC News, New York Times, and Bloomberg. On Thursday, the New York City Council approved a bill making it illegal to discriminate against weight and height in employment, housing, and public accommodations. The bill adds weight and height to the list of characteristics protected from discrimination under New York's human rights law, including race, gender, age, religion, and sexual orientation. The exceptions include jobs where weight and height considerations are essential to the role being performed or where there is a public health or safety concern. The bill is expected to be signed into law by New York Mayor Eric Adams, who in April said weight shouldn't be a basis for treating people differently. Some studies show the impact of weight stigma could go far beyond self-esteem, especially for women who, according to estimates published in the National Library of Medicine, experience a 2% drop in hourly pay for every six pounds increase in their weight. While lawmakers in New Jersey and Massachusetts are considering introducing a similar law, Michigan and Washington State already prohibit weight-based discrimination in the workplace. All right, thanks for that update, Eric. We have a left narrative spin from the New York Times. This bill sends a message that everyone should be treated with dignity and respect and that there's a legal remedy for size prejudice. Weight discrimination is not a health issue, it's a civil rights issue, which is why the bill comes as a breather for more than 40% of American adults who are openly ridiculed, denied jobs and promotions they deserve, and experience stigma, uncertainty, and distress for being short or obese. Washington Examiner gives us a right narrative for this story. While nobody should be persecuted for their size, anti-discrimination laws intended to protect those with immutable characteristics, not to trump at-will employment. Weight discrimination is hard to prove, and so, if enacted, the measure would empower anyone to take legal action, even if they're not victims. As its enforcement would ultimately be left to the courts, the bill places an unwanted burden on employers, regulators, and the judicial system. And we have another nerd narrative. The Metaculous community predicts that there's a 50% chance that at least 45.9% of Americans will be obese in 2032, according to the Metaculous prediction community. Our final story today, astronomers captured the largest cosmic explosion on record. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, BBC News, Daily Mail, Space.com, SciTech Daily, and National World. A remarkable cosmic explosion, first captured by astronomers in 2020, has been revealed as the largest cosmic explosion ever witnessed. 
The event is believed to have been triggered by a giant cloud of gas eaten by a supermassive black hole, per a study in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. A fast-moving burst of light was originally detected and recorded by scientists at the Zwicky Transient Facility in California three years ago. However, it took until 2021 for astronomers to discover this burst while reviewing the facility's data holdings. The team was baffled by what they saw. According to Dr. Wiseman, an astronomer at Southampton University, there was nothing in the scientific literature that could account for such a bright and long-lasting phenomenon. The event was 10 times brighter than any previously recorded supernova. The specific explosions that happen as massive stars die only last a few months, but this event had been raging for at least three years. The explosive event labeled AT2021LWX has been traced to 8 billion light-years away and is more than 10 times brighter than any known supernova. Simulations suggest that a star up to 15 times the mass of the Sun would have been required to account for AT2021LWX. In three years, this event has released about 100 times as much energy as our Sun will in its entire 10 billion year lifetime. Scott, thanks for those interesting facts. Our first spin for this story is Narrative A, coming from New York Times. Astronomers are observing one of the most violent and energetic acts of cosmic cannibalism ever witnessed. Perhaps the biggest explosion seen yet in the history of the universe. For a phenomenon like this to occur, you need a giant star that is being shredded by an enormous black hole. The black hole at the center of this event might have a mass of perhaps a billion times more than our own sun. And Narrative B comes from Business Insider. An alternative theory suggests that a supermassive black hole is consuming a cloud of gas and dust, not a giant star. A supermassive black hole is often surrounded by a ring of material which has been knocked off its orbit and is being absorbed by the black hole. As this is happening, shock waves are spreading through the cloud, heating the matter in it, and shooting out bright light. The jury is still out on the true nature of this cosmic cataclysm. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, May 13th, 2023. If you'd like more information on Improve the News, visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.